Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey, hey, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. I'm so excited that you've joined me here for another amazing week. No matter where in the world you're joining us from, whether you're on your morning walk, commuting to work, or just trying to get a few things done around the house, hey, no shame in that. I want to thank you for being part of this incredible community and for tuning in. I am so thrilled to introduce this week's guest, Suzanne Kohlberg, an international mindset coach, speaker, and author who helps overgivers and people pleasers learn to say no to others in a way that feels good. Good. Setting boundaries is crucial to our overall well-being. And in our conversation, we delve into the importance of putting ourselves first and how boundary setting can positively impact our wellness goals. Suzanne and I also discussed neurolinguistic programming or NLP, what it is and how it can shape our thought patterns and behaviors. I've never really gotten to talk about NLP before on this show and I didn't know much about it prior, so it was really great to get to have this conversation. Suzanne also wrote an amazing book, so I was also excited to learn more about her own journey and how that led to her work as the Nope Coach today. Now, I've pulled our listeners on social media before, even just as recently as last week, and I know that many of you are like me in the sense that you also struggle with boundary setting. Definitely more than half, I would say it was about 75% that said that they had some difficulties with those boundaries. So because of that, I know that this episode is an especially important one and that it's going to really resonate with so, so many of you. So sit back, relax, and join me in my conversation with Suzanne Colbert. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I absolutely loved your book and I've been really fascinated by the work that you're doing. Before we dive into our conversation for today, I'd love for you to first introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell them a little bit about you and what you do. So my name's Suzanne Kohlberg. I currently live in Sydney, Australia, so I'm joining you guys from the future. And I help women learn to say no and set boundaries without feeling like a bitch because so many of us are conditioned as good girls and people pleasers that, you know, to make everybody else happy and to, you know, not disturb the peace that we ignore the war we start within ourselves. So it's my mission to have people reclaim their no and realize that self first isn't selfish. Yeah, I think that's something, especially as women, it's really hard for us to condition out of ourselves, but so important when we do finally say that no. And I'd love to know for you, how did that journey into boundary setting first start and why is it so important? So I'm the youngest of four and as the youngest, it was very easy to be the one to just not rock the boat to take up less space emotionally and mentally and just not have to cause any more drama for my parents. (laughs) And that good girl conditioning took me all through school and through university. And it actually really wasn't until like, I just did everything for everyone else. Like even the degree I chose, I went to medical school because my parents wanted a doctor in the family. And it was fascinating to realize, actually, this career doesn't light me up in any way, shape or form. And I remember speaking to my boyfriend at the time, now husband, and I was like, I don't really like this. And and it's funny, nobody actually would like give me permission to leave. And it was kind of like, wow, I have to uh, make this decision for myself. And in fact, 
my parents were really encouraging me to stay, like keep doing this, keep doing this. So yeah, like just listening to everybody else's input, you could kind of lose sight of your own. And then I would eat. Like I'd stay up really late and it wasn't Netflix at the time. Got to show my age now. (laughs) Way back then it was DVDs or even television, free to air and eat stuff. And then I, yeah, I was actually really miserable. And I had all the external trappings of success. I had the boyfriend slash then fiance, then husband. I had the career that was going to be fabulous, Uh, you know, making into medical school, had all these achievements, but I was actually not happy at all. And so my first foray into overcoming people pleasing was to leave medical school to become a personal trainer, which, you know, looks like career suicide externally, but it was fabulous and I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, from there, all along the way, I've just followed the, my husband calls me lovingly the hummingbird because I flip from thing to thing to thing. But it's kind of like, yeah, in this season, this is what I want to do and this is what lights me up and I feel fulfilled from this and then moving on rather than doing the things that, you know, I should do because it looks better externally. Yeah, I think that can be really challenging, especially with like with the career. It's something where if you're a hard worker, if you're somebody who has always achieved, then it looks like success has to be a certain way. And I think that side of thinking that by not living up to X expectation that you're letting people down. And I know for me, not just career, but in a lot of areas of my life, there have been times where I knew a decision was wrong for me and I didn't change my track until somebody came to me and said, hey, I think that you're hurting yourself by doing this or you're in a situation that's not good for you or whatever it was. And kind of recognizing that we almost wait for that permission from others. And that's terrible because they're... Ultimately, I think as friends to other people, a lot of times we are thinking, well, they're coming to us at a time where maybe they're having self-doubt and they need us to encourage them or whatever it is. So we're not even necessarily encouraging our friends because of an expectation we have on them, but we're just, you know, trying to be that positive, whatever, like, yeah, you can do it. And it's, that's not always the case. And I think we we set ourselves up for failure sometimes when we're just kind of, yeah, listening to the expectations and the permission of others. So I think it's so great that you were able to make this decision and pursue something that lit you up because work is ultimately, I mean, we say it's a third of our lives, but I think with technology, the internet, it's it ends up being a lot more. It bleeds into other areas and we have to be doing something that isn't, you know, entirely draining our cup. Oh, 100%. And what are we doing it for? Because work is so much of our lives because especially, as you said, with technology now, it can become without good boundaries, all-encompassing. And if you're spending so much of your time doing something that you loathe, then looking for a break or a holiday or something, you know, so that you can get the stones to go back to it, that's just not the kind of life that I wanted to lead. And it was to what end? Like so often we keep doing something because we've invested in some way. Like I've invested time in this or invested money in this or invested energy in this, but that is already spent. And by you keep doing and keep reinvesting is not actually going to recoup anything if that isn't the thing, if that isn't what lights you up any longer. Yeah. So how do we break those ties? Because I think that is something, again, that's so ingrained in us, especially as women, we're taught to be the good girl and to maybe make things easy for people. I think a lot of times we're the peacemakers. I know that was my role in a lot of areas of my life. How do we step away from these patterns that we've had our whole lives and start to say no and focus on what we personally need? I think it's it's truly different for every person. 
because there will be times there's a difference between an obligation, like something that you want to fulfill on. Because I think sometimes when I tell people, you know, I'm the nope coach, I teach people how to say no, they think that that means being flaky or that means not following through on your word. But there's a difference between like I've said that I will do this thing or I've said I'll attend this thing and in the moment I don't feel like it, like I'm having an introvert day or like this is a career path that is no longer aligned with, you know, what I feel that I have going on. So I think it's it's for every person it's worth examining the bigger picture. So like, for example, my kids are both young and at the end of last year, they both won an award at assembly. So on the surface, it's like, oh, that's exciting. I get to go and whatever. And then I'm like, so I get to sit in a hall with like a thousand other people for two hours in the summer uh, to see my kids on stage for like 10 seconds. <laughs> like, so in that case, a hundred percent, I will go and I will attend and I will be there for that, for them even though it's, you know, not totally in my pleasure. But then there's other things. It's like if a friend invites me to the movies and I'm like, oh, okay, sure. But then on the day I haven't had any sleep or I'm just, you know, really not feeling like it, to say with love to them, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm actually really tapped out. You know, can we make it another day? Rather than forcing myself to attend when mentally I'm checked out and it's not going to be the same sort of experience as if we'd both been on the same page. And I think that's, a boundary, a discussion for the people that you have in your life. Like there's a difference between sending somebody's assembly or wedding or your know, big moment for them where you're just like, okay, I will set aside what I have going on to be there for them or like a social engagement where at the time it's like, actually, I thought I'd be up for this, but I'm not right now. Because what we tend to do, because we think it's politer, is to just lie. Like, oh, I've got a headache or all this sort of stuff. And the thing is, we can smell that BS a mile off. <laughs> so I think people are like, oh, don't you think you're being a bit rude? And I'm thinking, I think it's much more rude to lie. Oh, I've got a flat tire. Oh, I've got a headache. Or, you know, ask me next time than to say, actually, this isn't, you know, this isn't totally me. I don't like this kind of thing. You have a great time. And then next time, invite me to something else. Because the other thing too, we say, oh, next time, oh, next time, having no intention of ever going and that's actually much ruder than to say like I don't enjoy insert activity like I I was looking at your bio and it said you loved reality tv and I was like oh my goodness me too (laughs) some people can't stand it so like my sister's also a we're we're big survivor fans so she we live in different states so we'll watch it and then we have our little family thread where we chat and then there's other people in the family who like can you take it to your own thread like we don't do survivor and I'm like oh that's cool but rather than sitting there watching the 500 messages that come up or forcing yourself to watch a show that you're otherwise not interested in there will be somebody else who lines up you're not like the be all and end all to that person if you don't like survivor that's cool I'll find someone who does yeah yeah I have my reality tv people and I also know that if someone is in the room that's really not into it maybe I you know and they've and they've kind of shared that it's like we'll we'll change the conversation we don't have to talk about that all day but I'll find I'll find my people to to bring that in with yeah every time my mom and I will talk about um, some of the shows and my dad comes in he's like how can you guys watch this and so we really try to not do that so much in in the group chat for sure yeah I think I think that really is though the kinder thing to do because there are certain activities that I just do not get any joy out of and 
I don't want to be invited the next time, but I would love to see that person and and hang out with them and spend the time with them. But I also get a lot of headaches, so I don't want to give myself the bad headache karma by lying about one. But in all honesty, yeah, I mean, people, I think, appreciate it more when they, because you have friends and people in your life that you can do different activities with and that are there for different types of things. And you can kind of shift your perspective a little bit and think about, well, is this a big life event for them? Are they going through something where it would really be meaningful for me to be there? Or is this just something that is going to take too much out of me? It doesn't really matter to them in the long run. I mean, maybe, you know, they'll be a little bit disappointed, but it's it's not the end of the world that, that you're not able to attend. I think that that ultimately helps the relationship in a sense, because you know what you're going to enjoy together. You know what experiences are going to be worthwhile for the both of you. A hundred percent. And you're not offended. You'll be like, oh, that's just Valerie. That's just Suzanne. You know, that's the way they are. Whereas if you're the person who attends everything and, and sometimes too, we can inadvertently set up some sort of expectation. So I know when I was the world's biggest people pleaser, the things that I would say yes to where I was like dying inside and I was inadvertently unconsciously keeping a check balance in my mind. So it was kind of like, well, when it's my turn, like when I get to decide the activity or when I need help and I would struggle to ask for it or I finally did and the person on the other side had really good boundaries and they were like, oh, that's a no from me, I would be offended. I'd be like, what about all the things I've done for you? Like I may or may not have said that, but in my mind, I'd be like, how many of this have I sat through and it's my turn, like in my mind, and they've got really good boundaries and they're like, it's a no. And it's just like, excuse me? So <laughs> whereas if you're like, no, I, I don't actually do this, it frees them up to find somebody who does. Because I think sometimes too, a really well-boundaried person friends with somebody with no boundaries can inadvertently think that you you make you make it up they don't care about me or they don't value me or they don't all this and it's like no actually they they just have strong boundaries and they don't even see an issue with them saying no to you exactly they're listening to their intuition and what what it is that's going to fill their cup ultimately and I, I I have so much respect for people that are really able to do that it's something I'm trying to work on myself and something else that that you touch on in your book and just in the work that you do is about how the boundaries are really important for us in terms of our wellness and how boundary setting can lead to or the lack of boundary setting can lead to overconsumption and just other maybe unhealthy habits and I'd love to know a little bit more about that link and kind and how we can address that in our lives. So what tends to happen is most of us, we know what to do. <laughs> we just don't do it consistently enough. So, you know, we have some form of plan, whether it be a meal plan, it could be a particular way of eating or dare I say diet. Diet's a dirty word in my house, but we know these kind of foods are generally more nourishing. This kind of movement is generally better. If I have this much sleep, you know, I function more as a human being and so on and so forth. But then somebody will be like, could you just? And there are legitimate times. Like last week, I was just about to record a podcast. I'd sat down. I was just hitting record. School rang. I saw it on my phone before I turned it to airplane. said, sorry, go take this. And they're like, your daughter has done a cartwheel on the concrete and banged her head. I'm like, I'm coming. (laughs) Legitimately, I was like, I will drop this. That is a health concern. She's fine. There's no need to stress. But there are times when someone says, could you just? And of course, someone's injured, someone's sick, whatever. You do drop everything. But there are other times when it really isn't urgent or priority or they could ask someone else. Like very recently, I I published a book, um, you mentioned it, 
And a few of my friends are like, oh my goodness, I want to do books too. And I'm like, do a book. It's the best thing ever. And then I remember a few of them like, would you proofread mine? And I didn't even think. I was like, sure. So boundaries, they're still one thing I want to say with people that they're always uh, ongoing and you can always change them. So the first one that I read, hats off to the friend. And if you listen to this, you're always going to wonder if it's you because I've read so many books. But anyway, (laughs) um, it wasn't that good. Like it was really, really dry and I really struggled to read it. And then I was like, oh, I'm in such a pickle. Like how much honest feedback do you give? Because that's the other thing. If someone says, hey, can you give me feedback on this? So now I say to people, do you want like the full Sue's or do you want just like pat on the back? You've done an amazing job because I can do either. Most of the time they, they say they want both. So the story gets interesting. But anyway, what I learned from that experience is it's a lot for me to say yes. Like if somebody's book is, you know, 30, 40,000 words, there's a few hours of reading then plus the feedback and what have you. So it's kind of, and once I've said yes to one, I feel in my head I've inadvertently set a precedent, which I haven't, that's a whole story. But anyway, so what I did after that experience is like, what did I learn from this? It's like, it's a big asking. So now if someone asks me, I'll say, send me a chapter. Like either the the chapter you're struggling the most with or the one you're most confident on or whatever, send me a chapter, then I'll give them some feedback on that. Then if I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm loving this, I must have the rest, (laughs) I can request it or like I just, I don't feel so pressured by that. So back to the question, it's kind of like when we are setting the plans and someone asks for our help, we don't need to necessarily jump in and say yes, because they do have agency to ask somebody else. We can actually check, are we interested in So like the first thing I'd ask even before anything now is what's the book about? Because if it's like the history of Japanese manga, it'd be a no from me. Like my husband would read it, (laughs) but um, I'd be like, no, thank you. Because if they're wanting to somebody, especially for those of us in business, if you're wanting to employ somebody as in like, could you do this for me? A, it's not my niche, but that's different than can, can you help out? Because what happens is when I'm saying yes to everybody else, I'm saying no to me. So my podcast doesn't get recorded. My next book doesn't get written. My whatever it is, because in that time I am helping someone else. And what we tend to do is we say yes all the time. And then we get a little bit resentful, whether we're upfront about it like I am or not, we get a little bit resentful. And then we're like, oh, I've given all day. And we wonder why we stay up late watching Netflix, eating chips and telling ourselves I'll start again tomorrow or Monday universal day to change your life and then we get stuck in this cycle where everybody else's stuff is getting attention and ours isn't and then it's not just the external boundaries it's my own inner boundaries so I've been trying to write book two for about six months now and I'll throw myself under the bus here whenever I sit down to write it I'm like oh I'll just check my email or I'll just like I go and look for somebody to rescue and it's like that's me in that own cycle of not wanting to do my thing. So then I will cross my own boundary by going looking for somebody to help when really it's like words to paper, words to paper and like commitment to doing the thing rather than going and helping others and then feeling drained and end up over consuming in some way. Yeah, I've definitely fallen into that, especially the resentment piece of it, because I will be like, well, why are all these people like after a while, even though I fully committed and I consented to whatever it was, 
but getting into, well, everybody needs my help and no one's helping me. And it's like, well, I didn't ask anybody for help though. And I said yes to all of these things on a very short turnaround time. I've gotten better about even just at work of, yes, I'd be happy to work on that for you. I'm going to need X lead time on this. Or when it's not, when it's a favor, sometimes I really will do it as a favor, but sometimes knowing that, hey, this is something that I would normally be paid to do. And so, you know, I will ask for some form of payment sometimes, which is a really scary thing to do because I'm so used to just saying yes and yes and yes. But to help X person's friend of a friend when it's at the expense of some of the things I might be working on, I have to really be cautious about how much is this cutting into the other things I might be doing. But it's scary to do it. I think it gets easier the more that we do. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. The first few times or maybe first few dozen times that you do have especially a paid boundary conversation like that. Like actually this is something I do for a living. So like I'm a coach and I know I'm not the only one who has this is in when you're coaching someone, you quite often become friends with the person because, you know, you speak to them every week for six months or more. And then at the end of the coaching container, there's the discussion about keeping as friends and how you keep in contact. And that is great, but the coaching has finished. And then sometimes people will just send a message and go, what was that tool again? Or could you quickly go over this? And to me now I've got really strong boundaries on it because I remember when I went to medical school, we did a couple of placements in like rural areas. And like, I remember being in the supermarket (laughs) with this GP, general practitioner, I'm not sure, I think you call them primary care physician over there, but we're literally in the supermarket and this person comes over and like holds out their arm. It's like, can you just check this mole? (laughs) And in that case, we'd be like, oh my goodness, that's so obvious. But if someone says, could you just, could you just read this for me? Could you just answer this question? It won't take you a minute. The, The more you say yes to those little things, you're opening a door that becomes harder and harder to close. So now I basically say with so much love and compassion, I consider that a coaching question. If you want to discuss another package or something like that, I'm totally down for that. Otherwise, I'm sure you'd have it in the materials or notes that I've sent you just so we don't clear we keep clear the boundaries between friend and coach because otherwise you just end up forever. Like you think if every single one of your clients sends you one message like that a week or past clients, you're forever married to your messages and basically coaching for free. Yeah. And I mean, that that's a tough one because yeah, you really do see the people that you're working with in that way as friends in a sense, because you're, I mean, you're talking to your coach as, or you're sharing things with your coach that you might not share with your closest friends even. And it gets to that intimate level where they do know all these things about you. That is the person that you want to turn to when that first thing comes up, you want to know exactly what they think about it and all of that. And so it can be hard to flip that off. And I think it's so important and so great that you do set that boundary for them because, I mean, that has to be so hard to, I mean, you can't be on all the time. And even though we do often have our messages blaring at us all day, it is nice to be able to turn it off at some point. And when we are giving all this free help, free advice, whatever, and helping people in every other area of their life, we can't get anything done for ourselves. A hundred percent. And then it's also choosing for you and for each individual. Once again, this will be different how and when and where you can be contacted. So for me, I'm unusual in the coaching world is in that I don't answer DMs. Like my DMs are for memes jokes, friend stuff. And then if it's coaching, questions about coaching, talking about my program or whatever, it's purely by email. And sometimes people will get affronted if I say like, please send me an email or whatever. But I have my business hours where I work 
And then outside of that, I'm not working. I'm not on call. I left the medical field for a reason. (laughs) And there's no emergencies in coaching like there is in medicine. Like if you're messaging me in a true emergency, you should be at the emergency room. So it's just it's something I really had to bring in. And it was tough at first, but it was like, I I don't like to feel like I'm on call. I don't want to be tagged. I don't want lots of messages because to every person doing that, you think, oh, it's just one thing. I take her a couple of minutes. But as I said, if there's 10, 20 people doing that, then I'm married to my phone. So I actually have really strong boundaries within my program, with my clients, with my past clients. And then if people do message or contact outside of that or whatever, they're never, they're never like ignored or, you know, thrown to the wolves or whatever. It's just kind of, you know, lovingly reminded um, about how I like to be contacted. And I think in any parts of our life, having boundaries is not just setting them the first time. It's, you know, upholding them. And if we overstep the boundary ourselves, I love the quote from Brene Brown, clear is kind, because then if we think there's a difference between being nice and being kind, like when someone says, you know, love you so much, not available for this or whatever, that's nice and clear and kind. Whereas it's like, oh, just this once, oh, just this once. And then next thing you know, there's been two dozen messages, you're exhausted, you've stayed up way too late, especially because a lot of us have international audiences, like you and I are different, literally different times of, on different days. <laughs> so it, if you don't choose as time for it to end, it never will. Yeah, that's something I've been working on for myself even. Just I'm working on some boundaries and some habits I want to set for the coming month. And one of those things is setting off or turning off that work email at a certain time that I'm not checking it because I'm not being paid during that time. There isn't an emergency. It's, you know, if it really is an emergency, I'll get a phone call, but I don't need to be on my email to that extent and helping people with things that can wait until tomorrow at a time that I have actually budgeted for work, you know, and I do find that the more that I say no to my own boundaries and kind of say, okay, just this once, I don't even do that great of a job of helping the person. It ultimately, the the work suffers. I think I could do a lot better job of serving other people if I'm doing it meaningfully and really choosing when and how to spend my energy. But I think we do think that because I have some capacity to do this, I have to say yes. But I love that clear is kind. And I think that there is, I mean, there's such a value in it and Again, not having that resentment coming, it really, I think, helps the relationship overall too. But it also, when you do choose to help, you are doing it in a more meaningful way. So true. And also a really clear distinction that helped me and might help some of the listeners is, you know, wanting to be of service and help others 100%. But when is helping becoming enabling? Because if someone's DMing you, especially for something that's really obvious, I can't find the link or where's this, it's clearly stated on your website or it's, you know, you've got got it in your messages. The time you spend responding to that one person takes away the time you could spend crafting an entire email sequence or a training or, you know, recording a podcast such as this that could benefit hundreds or thousands of people. So sometimes when you think, oh, well, I've got to respond to them because, you know, I want to be in service, it's like, but is it in service, especially if it is something that is clearly stated, are they actually looking for help in that moment or are they looking for co-regulation? And it's kind of like so often, like sometimes it's legit. It's like, oh, the link's broken or something like that. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for letting me know. But so often, like I run, I tend to run free masterclasses once a month and Sometimes I run them in a pop-up Facebook group. Sometimes I do them on Zoom. But it's always clearly stated the time, the time zone, a link to where you can convert it, all this sort of thing. 
Um, and if it is in a pop-up Facebook group, I don't open it till just before, but people will email and they go, I can't find the link or I can't do this. And I can't do that. And it's like, they're activated, their nervous system's activated. And we will talk all about that in the training. But me responding to dozens of these little messages isn't in best service to anyone. And it's just kind of like them taking a breath and then looking again. Like, you know, sometimes something's password protected and you're like, I can't find the password. And you message and they write back and it's like, it literally is right there. But when emotions are high, intelligence is low. So whenever that happens to me, it's just kind of like, take a breath. It will be here. Read it again. (laughs) And it's just kind of like, oh, there it is. And it's looking at what is happening that we can't see the thing that's directly in front of us. Yeah. And I mean, how many times where I maybe can't respond to the email right away. Maybe, for example, someone emails me while we're in the middle of this interview. So I don't see it. An hour passes. And how many times that person in the time that that they've had to sit there and kind of think about it, they found the answer for themselves. Oh, never mind. I got it. Thank you anyway. Because I certainly get that like in my day job, in the podcast, and in a lot of different areas of life where when I haven't gotten, maybe I haven't even been able to get back to them right away because a lot of times I have been very quick to jump to spoon feeding wherever the location is, even though it's right there. When I can't get back to them right away, they figure it out for themselves. And again, sometimes there is something that's broken and it's important to know, or maybe it's something that it's genuinely confusing the way that I've worded it. And so now I know to kind of change it moving forward. But a lot of times it really is just that they're just as stressed out as we are. They completely read past something. And when they take a minute back, they they find it, they figure it out. And I love that because that's kind of, you have that trust in them, you know, they will figure it out. And as you said, when you are doing something like recording this, and it's funny when you do get back to email or something and you check it, I love reading them. Mm-hmm. First email, I can't find this. Second email, don't worry, I got it. Third email, <laughs> that was amazing. But you can just see the trajectory of like an activated nervous system as it starts to calm down. And you can see you know, where do I do this in my own life? So for me, if I can't find something or I'm freaking out about something, my rule is like walk away from the computer, it, whether it be go stand outside, make myself a cup of tea, just do some breaths, mm-hmm. then come back to it because it's like, you know, where you put your wallet down or your keys and you're panicking and then you're having all these stories in your mind about having to ring the bank and cancel all your cards and whatever. And then you're like, oh, it's under my chin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just like trusting that they are resourced and figure it out. And then if they don't, and sometimes it is a legitimate thing, like this is broken or that doesn't work. It's like, oh, thank you so much for letting me know. Yeah. I have so many times where I'll just decide I've given up. I'm going to the mailbox and I just go walk for 10 minutes or take a shower. And I don't know about you. I get some of my best ideas and my best thinking in the shower. And suddenly I'm like, what if the thing I'm looking for is in blank spot and I get out and it's there? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I do think the change in scenery helps and kind of getting out of that space. I always love coming back to the email where they have figured it out and seeing that first because I'm like, okay, then I'm not going to feed into the friends too, because I I certainly have. But I I think that that's so needed sometimes to just take that step away and take a break, come back to it. Because again, a lot of the work that we're doing, it's not emergency. Obviously, certain careers, certain things that that we might be doing, yeah, we need to get to it right away if it's the health of a family or a friend, of course. But some of the things are just... If, if I need to, I, I do a lot of editing for people as well. Editing something for someone, it, it can take a minute. Mm, yeah. I think that's such a good point too. It's kind of like, what is your reset or, you know, and even if it's just a few moments, like I think sometimes I think the reason we force ourselves to keep going 
is we're worried if we take a break, we'll lose momentum or we won't come back to it. It doesn't take long to walk up and down a flight of stairs or walk outside. As you said to them, go check the post box. This is really random, but my kitchen sink. I could go and wipe around the sink. I feel this great sense of achievement later when I go in and have a beautiful clean sink, but it literally takes a few seconds and then it just gets that shift. And then, or as you said, have a shower, wash your hands, wash your face. Water seems to be such a great instigator of ideas. And it's just being out of that space. And I think because in the moment it seems really urgent or seems like a like an emergency, but when you step back from it, you're like, you know, is this that big of a deal? Like even things like, you know, sending an email or something, like obviously you want to respond to people or, you know, emails are important in certain circumstances, but one email isn't going to make or break your business, your friendship, your family. It's kind of like we put a lot of pressure onto things that we don't necessarily need to. And when we stop doing that, I think we reclaim a lot of freedom. So, so another topic that you get into in the work that you do that I find so fascinating is NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. And it's an area that I don't know a whole lot about. I'd love to know a little bit more about how you got into it, what exactly it is, and how it pertains to some of the work that we've been talking about. Certainly. So NLP or neuro-linguistic programming, as you said, I came across it as a client initially. So I was basically Googling... <laughs> how do you lose weight and still eat chocolate? So (laughs) I came across this coach and they taught NLP and I was like, I'll give it a bash. I've always been like that. I'll try most things once. And honestly, I didn't have the best experience. I will be transparent. I was like, I I just, I don't think that this is that great. And what was interesting about it is I was like, NLP, not for me. And I kind of chalked it up and went about my life. And then I came across another coach and I was working with her. She didn't have NLP anywhere in her messaging or branding or anything. And we started to do a session and I was like, hold up, is this NLP? And she's like, yes. Why do you ask? I'm like, well, I think it's crap. And what was funny about it is being the people pleaser that I was, the original coach that I worked with, there's processes using NLP that basically for anyone who's like, well, what is she talking about? If you imagine a computer, and I love how I use this analogy because I don't know much about software or tech, but I know the basics, but the computer and it runs and then it comes and asks you do a software upgrade and it will run faster or it will you know, run better or the battery will last longer or anything like that. And you know, we tick yes. And then you know, it upgrades and the service works better. NLP is like that for our mind. So the way we think, the actions we do, the thoughts we have tend to run based on the experiences we've had, the upbringing we've had, and they've given us the results that we have. And although consciously we know we want to make changes, sometimes, most of the time, we change for a little bit and then we stop and we end up with our old results and we're like, why does this keep happening to us? So what NLP does is basically like installing new drivers, installing new software so that we can actually go where we say we want to go. So part of the processes on some of them is like they'll ask you to close your eyes and they'll say like, you know, do you see the dots? And honestly, I didn't see shit, but being the people pleaser I was, I was like, yeah, sure, I see the dots. (laughs) And then at the end, I was like, gosh, this was such a waste of time. And so what I didn't know on my initial run is, A, like, don't people please your coach. Honestly, whoever you're working with, be honest. If you don't see anything, let them know because you might be. So for me, I'm not a visual learner. I'm kinesthetic. I'm a feeler. So I don't see anything but I feel things. And some of you might be auditory. You don't see anything, you don't feel anything, but you hear things or you know, you have messages through like song lyrics or things like that. 
So anyway, the second coach I worked with, when I was like, yeah, like this doesn't work for me, from that level of being truly honest, then true transformation happened. So basically, when you work with somebody who you know has NLP processes, what's powerful about it is they will match and mirror your language. So the way that you speak, the speed, the flow, the types of words that you use, because I believe that we all have what I call word allergies. Like, you know how people will say, you should have a gratitude practice. Like to me, as soon as I hear gratitude, I shudder inside. Like I know it's good for me and I know all this sort of stuff, but I can just hear my mum when I'm a young child saying, you should eat that, the starving children in Africa. So gratitude's very loaded for me. It's a term that is associated with guilt and shame and, you know, not a lot of self-worth. I could do work on that. I could unpack that with processes or I could simply just change the word from gratitude to appreciation. So I have an appreciation practice, basically the same thing, but in a word that doesn't activate me or make me feel like that word allergy. So anyway, when you do NLP with a coach, there's different processes you can use. There's different things like timeline and going back to past versions of you or you when you were younger and basically rewiring that experience or that event so that you experience it in a different way. Obviously, we can't change change time. We're not doing Harry Potter with a time turner kind of thing here, but it's like that way that you have mapped that memory in your mind. Is there a, a different way that you could see it so that, you know, you aren't feeling activated or you aren't re-experiencing or re-examining your life through the lens of what happened back then? And with that new software or hardware, as I said, computer analogy probably wasn't the best, then you can move forward. So that's a lot of the work I do with people because as I said, intellectually, we know what to do. We just don't do it because we're running softwares or drivers that aren't in best service to where we want to go now. It makes a lot of sense. And I love I love the reframe from the gratitude to appreciation because that was something whenever I was going through something, I would always hear, well, you just need to be grateful. And while I think that gratitude is such a beautiful thing, I definitely have had kind of a negative connotation and a little bit of a toxic positivity mindset around it. But I do think that it's an important practice. And I think to change the wording, because again, like we can do the work, but just a simple change in words. I mean, sometimes we need that shortcut almost. And you know, it's going to change the it's going to change the action for you. And it's going to get you to making the decision that's going to benefit you in the long run. Hey, that's a great thing. Yeah, well, why would you want to do work when you don't have to? Our brains are wired for efficiency. So if you can just change the word, it's like weight loss. I can't think of anything else I want to lose. If I lose my keys, if I lose my car, if I lose my credit card, if I lose my kids, it happened once, only for a few moments, the shopping center, longest moments of my life. Like it, in, it induces panic, but then we want to lose weight. But our subconscious is wired for anxiety and panic to come at the thought of loss. So it's like, I want to release weight. I want to, you know, thank you for your service. Farewell. I don't need you anymore. I want to, um, you know, whatever feels more empowering to you than lose because in every other context, loss has been wired in a negative way. I hadn't thought about that before, but release really does have so much more of an empowering feeling. And I think it also does bring, I hate to say that gratitude there, but it does bring a little bit more of that positive connotation because a lot of times the weight, the extra weight that we might be carrying served some kind of purpose for us. And sometimes I think I've held on to weight because I was maybe trying to protect myself from whatever situation, whatever trauma it was. And while obviously wanting to heal from that, that trauma, it did serve its purpose and having maybe a little bit more of 
of that feeling of thank you, but I don't need you anymore. I release you rather than I've lost you. And now I'm, yeah, having those feelings of loss. And I think loss kind of, you end up with those feelings of mourning as well. And it's just a very interesting, I hadn't really thought about it with weight loss, but I think that really is a great example. Yeah. When you think about the weight in some way for many people is some sense of safety or security. And acknowledging, you know, that our bodies don't do anything for no reason. So sometimes some people want to, they really want to find out why. And, you know, when it comes to digging into the past or recovering repressed memories or anything, that's not what I do as a coach. That would be where I'd be referring people to somebody else. But for myself personally, on my own journey and the people I work with, the weight served me for some reason. I don't need to know what that was, but I can know I don't need that any longer Um, like I've got me. So as I said, thank you for your service, but uh, please go now. (laughs) Yeah. I really love that because there is a lot with the words that we're using when it comes to, I think, weight, especially. And that's something I really loved in your book, The Beginning is Shit. Really great book. I highly recommend it to the listeners and we'll definitely have to talk about that some more as well. But just the fact that probably the majority of women listening have gone through the cycle of that yo-yo dieting. We've used words like good and bad to describe our actions and the foods we're eating. And we've really attached, I think, morality to even just the weight itself and a lot of feelings and connotations that really aren't there. But again, we we do that to ourselves from the words that we're using. Oh, yes. Like words have power. We cast spells with our words. And it's fascinating watching it from, you know, such a young age. Like I have uh, my children are seven and nine. So dissociating, you know, them from being a good girl or a good boy to a good effort or trying your best. It's fascinating because I'm never as concerned with the result, like whether they were chosen to be the student leader or whether they ran, won the race as opposed to they had a go. And I think if we can keep that, especially going into adulthood, because so many of us hold ourselves back from even trying because like, what if we don't make it or, you know, what if we're not chosen or whatever, but who do you become simply by having a go as opposed to, I'm not even going to try because I might not be the best. There's some, there's some weird connotations in that happening or some, you know, weird thing that we lose sight of the fun in actually doing the activity when we're so attached to the result of it. Yeah, I've definitely fallen into that really with weight, with actually really with most areas of life. I think we've kind of fallen into it because you're thinking, well, I'm really good at X, Y, and Z, so I should be able to do this in the best possible way and be better than everybody else, which we can't be the best of the best in everything, first of all. But I, I know something for me personally is that when I've been setting goals for myself, I've had to kind of reframe, I'm going to lose X amount of weight or I'm going to have this kind of result, but rather I'm going to do these actions, things that I can control because ultimately too, what is coming off the scale isn't necessarily within your control to the number that you want it to be. There may be other factors, but I can control that I'm going for my 20 minute walk every morning and that I'm drinking however much water or that I'm putting in this kind of effort to do something that has traditionally been uncomfortable for me and I'm having fun with it and I'm learning something. 
like back when I was in college, having a gym membership on the college campus, it was so great to be able to go for free to any gym class I wanted and try out all these fun different things with my friends and not having a goal tied to it, but really just that we were getting active and having a good time. Or if I was trying out, if, if I wanted to experiment with a different maybe style of eating because a doctor said, hey, you're going to feel better if you cut this out or try cutting this out. And so I had to maybe experiment with cooking in a different way or you know, just trying different recipes and things like that. When I've had fun with it and I've just enjoyed, well, I'm going to try X number of things and see if this is something I can add into my lifestyle. It's, it's a lot easier to maintain and it's a lot more of a joyful thing than when I'm like, I cannot eat X, Y, and Z. I can't eat the, if, if I can't eat the chocolate, forget about it, you know? Because that sets us up for the all or nothing, the diet or binge. You know, for every diet, there's an equal and opposite binge. Whereas if instead of tracking the number on the scales or the waist measurement or something like that, you actually tracked walking or cooking nourishing meals or something, you know, that you got joy from. And that's something I do in my program, Why Wait? We set what we call our pennies, our smallest activities towards our goal. The penny is not the goal. And then in whatever way, whether it be a checkbox or coloring in on a chart or something, marking that off each day, because the thing is you can't control the number on the scale. You literally can't. And, and, and we get obsessive about it. Like we weigh in, in, you know, if you're at home naked or if you're going somewhere public to weigh in, what's the lightest pair of shoes or pants I can wear? Mm-hmm. Could I not drink water beforehand because, you know, this, do I need to move the scales around different areas of the house? Like you name it, I've done it. That's some weird kind of obsessive shit right there. Or you could be like, hey, I'm actually going to track going for a walk. I'm going to track the weights that I'm lifting at the gym or I'm going to track the fact that I journal every day, something like that, because those are the activities that are going to bring the outcome as opposed to standing on an inanimate object and trying to work out like what it is that I need to do. Because sometimes it's fascinating when we look at the actual weight on the scale, it can be affected by so many things. Our monthly cycle, how much salt we've eaten, whether we're dehydrated, whether you know we're constipated, like all sorts of things. And it's kind of like that is not controllable, whereas the actions that I put in they are controllable. And sometimes it's the discipline to go for the walk when you can't be bothered, when it's too hot or too cold or you're too tired to actually take those little actions that over the long term are going to bring the result that you actually crave. Yeah. And I think the number of times the poor nurses have had to hear me at the doctor's office make the same joke about I shouldn't have worn my jeans today or let me take off my necklace too or whatever it is so that the number is smaller. And I, I feel bad for them because it's probably everybody that's that's making those comments in some variation or another. But yeah, like really focusing on what can I actually be doing? And yeah, time of the month. I mean, that's that's stressful too, because we're holding on to wait or God forbid you ate in a restaurant the night before and you're holding on to, you know, because of sodium or whatever, but you're still making positive choices. You just happened to go to a restaurant the night before. It doesn't necessarily even mean that you've gained weight, but I think we hold so much power over a specific number. And the only way we can really have full control over the number is if we somehow break into the computer system of it and actually like reprogram it to say the number we want, you know, to get it exactly where we want. People would often ask me like the fastest way to lose five kilos or 10 kilos. Never really appreciated my answer of like lop off a limb Monty Python style, but (laughs) seriously, it's kind of like, and also if you think about losing fast, 
are you actually losing fat, which is what you want, or are you losing water or muscle or, you know, like when you look at, you know, jockeys or weightlifters or people who need to come into a grade boxes, the way they nominally do it is by controlling their water levels like or, you know, water loading or, or whatever. And it's kind of like that's not the physical weight that people actually want to lose. That is, you know, a number. Yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. And you may look a little bit different that particular day, but the number could change back a day later and it really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't really mean that you've changed a habit or anything like that. So I do think it's so important to be mindful of all of that and to really be thinking about the habits we're taking on rather than the results. And I think with losing weight, there's kind of a negative connotation sometimes because there is so much in diet culture that is not healthy and it's not healthy for our mindset. Reading your book, I can definitely relate to a lot of the diets that you would try out where you didn't feel great doing them or maybe you lost weight because because you were eating very, very calorie restricted and it wasn't something that you could maintain long term. And the thought patterns around it, I think that a lot of the diets out there, there can be a lot that's harmful with it. But I do think weight loss in itself, it can be for a particular health goal. It doesn't necessarily have to be to fulfill society's standards, but rather because, you know, in, in your case in the book, you were talking about having, you know, not needing back surgery because of losing a particular amount of weight. And I think that's so important for us to, to be mindful of how do we kind of stop that yo-yo dieting and heal our relationships with our body, but still pursue a goal like that in a, in a positive way. It reminds me, there's a, a quote, like you can be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. So mm-hmm. you totally can love the body that you're in while creating the body that you truly desire, whether it be because you have a health goal, like I had a back injury at the moment. I know I'm carrying a few extra kilos. I no longer weigh myself because I don't let a, a inanimate object tell me how I can feel about mm-hmm. myself. But my knees, like my knees are sore. So I'm like, I'm carrying a few extra kilos because they say extra kilo, one kilo, seven kilos through your knees because of the way that the joint pressure is distributed. So it's like the same as if I eat sugary foods late at night, I don't get as good a quality of sleep. Like I still sleep, but it's restless and I wake up kind of feeling like a sugar hangover. But those things I find are much more conducive to long-term change because you're checking in, you're like, my knees hurt or my back hurts or I'm feeling cranky or not rested. So tonight when the kids go to sleep and the cravings roll around again, instead of going, well, I shouldn't have it because it's a bad food or or any of this sort of thing, it's like, how do you want to feel tomorrow? Like, do you want to wake up with a (laughs) sugar hangover and a kind of thing? Or do you want to be like, actually, and those little things checking in with your body, seeing how it feels can be enough to dissuade what could otherwise circle into a binge. Because as soon as I tell myself, oh, one won't hurt or I'll start again Monday or whatever, it's opening a door that becomes harder to close. So it's kind of like, yeah, I want to make this change. What's the deeper why beyond society's expectations, beyond a number on the scales, beyond a clothing size? But like, you know, how do I want to feel? A large part of it for me too is you're keeping active with my kids. Like they scooter, they bike ride, they cartwheel. I don't do those things. But I do go along with them like I'm walking or I'm participating. Like we went to the water park recently instead of being the mum who stands on the side. You know, if that's you and you want that, that's great. But no, I want to I want to race your kids down the slide because I can do this and it feels joyful for me. I want to go on the swings. I want to be part of it rather than feel like I'm the spectator in everything. 
and by keeping my weight lighter or eating things more nourishing, that becomes much easier to do rather than feeling I'm being controlled by a diet or a, a calorie restriction. Yeah, I think that those are really great whys. And I think having your why makes it easier, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, it makes it easier to hold a boundary around it. Because I think that the way that we are around food and exercise and the way that we approach those, it can affect our relationships for positive and for negative. And people will sometimes see that you're making a po- like a change that's positive for you and it can awaken some insecurity or they it, it's different for them to see that now you're eating a particular way. And I think people think that everything that we do is about them when it's really not. And I think we're, we're guilty of seeing that in other people too. But it can be really easy, I think, when you're making those changes and then you have the person in your life that's like, well, you don't need to do that. You don't, you don't need to lose weight or you don't need to cut this out or whatever it is. And I think when you know that, hey, if I do eat this and I have trouble eating it in moderation, that I am going to have more headaches or this is going to bother my stomach and it's not really worth it for me like as a regular thing. And to be able to kind of reframe it for ourselves and know it's not just about looking a certain way, but if I eat this particular thing, I'm going to be physically uncomfortable or I'm not going to be able to do this thing that brings me joy. I I think that does make it easier to say no to just living a little quote unquote or just having one or whatever it is. Yes. And when you do do it, instead of beating yourself up and going, I'm a failure or I'm lazy or whatever, it's kind of like, hey, this is a reminder of why we don't do this anymore. So like, I love myself a good thick shake. Like, I don't know, do you guys call them that? Like a milkshake, but maybe lots and lots of ice cream. But as an adult, I just can't handle the dairy like I could when I was a kid. And so like last week, I went out with the kids and had this big thick shake and oh man, I did not feel well afterwards. And in the past, it would have been the opening the door to beating myself up. And then what do we do when we beat ourselves up? We tend to just eat or drink or consume more because from a place of feeling terrible about ourselves, we're like, oh, what's the point? I've blown it now and you just keep going. Whereas as I was there kind of unbuttoning my pants because I was feeling so bloated, I was like, this is why you don't drink thick shakes anymore. (laughs) And that was that. And then I wasn't tempted the next day or the next time because sometimes too, it's kind of like I've blown it now, I might as well keep going. Or, you know, the same time the next day, um, you know, it's that three o'clock time of the day where I'm in that sludge where you start again. It's kind of like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Instead, we're doing this. So it's kind of a, a reminder of why you don't act like this anymore rather than a stick you beat yourself with. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain foods and I've noticed with alcohol for myself, I've never been a big drinker, but in college a lot more and finding that, Hey, if, if I drink this, I'm going to lose part of the next day and that's not worth it to me. Or I'm going to have this particular effect that, that I don't want to have. Or also noticing that with certain foods and with alcohol that in order to eat the thing or to drink the thing that I would have to prepare by taking chlorella or having the Pedialyte in the house or whatever it is, you know, hey, maybe sometimes it's worthwhile and enjoy your life. But sometimes it's like, did I really need to do all this preparation to consume this one thing? Was the thing really worthwhile to me? Would I have had just as good of a time if I didn't have to do all this prep work in order to have the thing? And most of the time, it would have been just as enjoyable, probably more so. Yeah. And that's, that's the checks and balances. It's like, is it worth it? Sometimes, yes, it is. Like I've had a thick shake before and we're like, totally worth it. And other times mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, no, I just did it because, you know, I was tired or stressed or everyone else was having one or like whatever. And even, you know, tying this back to boundaries, which we were talking about before, 
if someone asks you to do something, could you proofread this? Can you help me with this? Can you do this? And whatever. And it's like, is it worth it? Like the investment of time to do this, to help this person in this moment is going to take away the time I had planned to do something else or means I need to do this later at night because I'm not going to be doing it now. It's like, you know, how much capacity do I have? Another Brene Brown quote that I love is choose discomfort over resentment. So the discomfort of saying, you know, no, thank you or not right now or not this time over the resentment of going, sure. And then later on having stuff piling up because your own work is getting pushed to the side to you know help others. Mm-hmm. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that's so true. And I've, I've heard with, I can't remember what it was with Brene Brown. I had actually written it down, but just that, oh yeah, that resentment comes from a lack of boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that was said to me just about a week ago. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I keep it by my computer because I am the yes person. I remember end of last year being involved in a lot of organizations and not getting a lot of sleep and feeling like, wow, I am not operating at even remotely my best and I feel like crap. I'm putting on weight without even realizing it or anything. I'm blowing up at people over little things and it did turn into, well, maybe I have said yes to too much. Maybe I am trying to please too many people. And so I've started to really think about in the new year when when I am asked something, like how important is it to me really? And is it something that like really ties into my core values? Is it something that's going to move me forward toward whatever it is that I want? Is it something that really is important to the people that are closest to me? Because again, there are those emergencies and there are the things that it it is really important. It's a life event for a particular person, but sometimes it really is just the thing that, yeah, it would be nice to do, but I don't have the bandwidth. I love that. So something I speak about bandwidth, you said I call it capacity. And sometimes we think we've inadvertently set a precedent. Like I said, yes, last time. That doesn't mean yes forevermore. So Mm -hmm. if someone says, hey, could you do this? A way to kind of take some of the pressure off that is yes, I can do it today. Or like, you know, one of the ones, especially those in a traditional job or even, you know, someone in your family, hey, can you do this for me? It will take five minutes. It takes you two hours. So instead of just each time eating it and going, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Actually just saying, Valerie, you know, thanks so much for asking me. I don't think it's going to take five minutes. I think it's going to take two hours or, you know, whatever. I have an hour available now, so I can put one hour towards it, but then I'm going to leave it. Like, so, you know, you're being clear on what you're available for or because so often what happens is we say, yes, we do it. We say, yes, we do it. The resentment builds and eventually we blow up at the person and that's where things don't go well. Whereas if sometimes when we blow up at the person and they look at us confused, because the thing is, had you said no, they could have asked someone else. And I think sometimes we get this weird kind of savior complex happening where we think like we're the only ones. And truly, and especially I see this happen with grandparents babysitting children. So it's kind of like, could you look after the kids? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. If they didn't want to and they said no, you could hire a babysitter and you'd be willing to, but you think, oh, well, they want to hang out with them because they like seeing their grandkids. And it's like, well, yes, I do, but maybe not every single weekend or, or whatever it is. So it's like having, I think, underlying all of these boundaries is the clear communication. Because if you're thinking, oh, you know, Valerie's such an amazing person, she doesn't mind, and you actually do mind, 
and then you eventually lose it. And it's like, where did this come from? Like, and then you're like, how can they be confused? Like this has been building for ages. But if you've said yes every single time, people aren't mind readers. And the other thing too, when you start to have the conversations with people, make sure they're like fully paying attention. I remember, I think I, I don't know if I wrote about it in the book or not, but in this iteration of the weight release journey, you know, when I actually stuck to it, I remember saying to my husband, I want you to support me. And he's like, yeah, okay, yep, got it. And he was like watching Xbox at the time or playing, you know, Halo or something. He wasn't paying me a whole lot of attention. And then we went to the supermarket and I picked up Tim Tams, which are a chocolate biscuit, and I put it in the trolley and he kind of playfully slapped them out of my hand. Like he didn't hurt me or there's no violence or anything, but like playfully. And I just remember looking at him, I picked that up, I picked up a second packet too. No one tells me what to do. And I ate like all of them. And then he's like, and then I'm crying. And he's like, why are you crying? I'm like, I wanted you to support me. And he's like, I did. I hit the biscuits out of your hand. And I'm like, support to me meant give me a hug and remind me why I'm doing this. Whereas support to him is like, biscuits shall not enter your mouth. So it's kind of like having this discussion when both parties are present, not one of them's watching Xbox or playing a game, and being clear, what kind of support do you actually want? Because to me, it was never hit the biscuits out of my hand and tell me not to have it. It was like, remind me that you got this. And the same in business or whatever goal that you're pursuing, make sure the people you're asking to be supportive are supporting you in a way that feels supportive to you. Yeah. First of all, I love a Tim Tam. So I definitely can understand the the impulse. And I do not like someone telling me, don't eat this. But I found that the best support I have gotten when it comes to food is not the person that says, well, you shouldn't be eating that, but the person that says, I know it's hard, but making the decision you're about to make or eating the the broccoli instead of the such and such, this is ultimately leading you toward the goal that you have set for yourself, like reminding you of that in a gentle and loving way. And something that I really love, I can't remember where, I I think it was on the Gretchen Rubin podcast, but she was talking about when somebody needs your help or when you need help from somebody, basically asking the question, are you looking for advice or are you looking for emotional support? What is it that you're looking for in that particular moment so that the person can give that to you and kind of be set up for success because I also think they make the joke that men and women kind of handle it differently or at least that the masculine is well you need to do this this and this and the feminine is more of the holding space and you know I'm here for you or whatever and there's a place for both but being able to have the conversation of hey this is what I need right now to really help me toward the goal that I have or through the situation that I'm in it really helps I think to Again, because the people in your life that love you and care about you, they do want to support, but we all need it in a different way. So we might approach it with the wrong love language or in a way that isn't helpful for the other person. That is such a great thing because, yeah, sometimes you do want that kind of more hard-lined, you don't do this. And sometimes, like, usually what I want is him to say or whoever to say, what's going on? Because, like, it's never about the food. (laughs) It's something else. So sometimes someone just asking what's going on is enough for me to pause and go, ooh, what is going on? Because for me, I don't know stuff often is going down until I'm knee-deep in Tim Tams wondering what's happened. So someone to have the wherewithal to ask me or just, like, what would future Sue's do? like who's already achieved her goal, she would either would have done the thing if it's something I'm avoiding, like, you know, recording a podcast or whatever, or she would have not done the thing if it's, you know, overeating. But it's just having the, and as you said, asking for how your needs are met. Like, do you want advice in that situation? Like, I don't want somebody to give me the calorie breakdown of a Macca's burger if I'm about to do drive through. And then it's 
are they available to offer that, which is why it's great to have a coach or somebody that you pay and employ if it's, you know, within your budget to do so because friends can often and family can often become enablers or that we can put too much pressure on them because then, you know, when we are having the tougher times, making it their fault, it's not their fault. Like we always have agency. There's no passive eating like there's passive smoking, but it's kind of like it's a lot of pressure to put on, you know, close relationships that they might not necessarily be available for. Yeah. And sometimes we're bringing our own back, like they're bringing their baggage around the same subject because it might be an emotional subject. And so not necessarily that we can be 100% impartial in every situation, but sometimes you need that person that's maybe even though your coach is going to care, they are that step back from the person that is in your life every single day that has known you since you were X age or that is taking a very emotional approach. And not to say again, that a coach wouldn't have the emotions behind it, because I do find that the people that I have worked with, they care, they really genuinely care about your well-being and your success. But I think they are almost in a different category for that. And somebody who is the expert in that particular area that has some proven practices around how to handle whether it's weight related related or fitness or mindset or really any area of life working with somebody who has some practices that they that they employ and that they work with people on rather than maybe more anecdotally what some of our friends are doing and also struggling with at times Yes, that's that's so true. And also with our you know, friends and family, we want them to like us. We want us to like them. So sometimes we will go into that enabling and people pleasing thing. Sometimes I say to my clients, like, you know, likes a button on Facebook. You're not going to like what I'm going to say right now. <laughs> but being willing to risk the relationship or say the hard thing to remind them of the overarching goal, not that I don't care and love and have compassion, but also too, like, you, you're not going to like me in this moment and that's okay. Whereas in the family, that could really affect the dynamic of the household if you're like (laughs) at the person that you're living with. Well, it's like, I know that when I'm going through something, I can tell, for example, my therapist, I can tell her a lot of things that I would never tell the people closest to me or wouldn't be comfortable in that moment. And I can take feedback from her that I would not be comfortable receiving. And maybe I, of course I care, I care what everybody thinks maybe too much, but it is a different dynamic. It's not something where I'm worried that this person is going to walk out of my life because I've told them this thing or because I'm struggling with this thing. And not to say that our friends and family would do that, but I think that they're is more of that fear when when we're approaching it in that way. Oh, so much so because, you know, what are they going to think or the pressure to perform or get the result because you said you would, whereas, you know, with your coach or your therapist or whoever, you can unpack the underlying because, like, you know, consciously we want to make these changes. Consciously we know the health benefits or the life benefits or, you know, the career benefits or whatever. But why do we keep going back to these self-sabotaging behaviors? It's something we can explore with somebody, you know, in the professional realm that the family doesn't have the skill set or the ability to hold space for. Yeah, I mean, it is, again, such a skill set. It's a it's something that coaches are professionals and it's a skill set that they've learned and really honed in on. And even I'd say even if you have a family member that's a coach, I think sometimes there still is, I think, that attachment in a way that, again, your coach that 
you didn't know prior to to whatever it's not like they don't care but it is just a separate it's a little bit of a separation there and there is that openness to share more and to have that vulnerability and to ask the questions and to accept the advice that may be uncomfortable from it may be uncomfortable from them but it would be even more uncomfortable from somebody else so I really do think that that's such an important coaches are such an important resource in our lives and there's also something to said for the exchange. Like I had a joke with my sister recently. She asked me something and I was like, oh, I don't do this shit for free. Um, <laughs> but jokes aside, when you pay, you pay attention. So, so like, sometimes you'll say something yeah. to somebody like again and again and again, and they'll just pay you no mind or that's a nice bit of advice or that's thanks. And then they come back, you know, a week or a month later and they're like, oh, I was just talking to so-and-so, like their coach, their therapist. Did you know? And you just like have that nascent eye roll because you're like, I've been telling mm-hmm. you this for however long but they didn't pay. There was no exchange there. So they didn't pay attention. <laughs> yes. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, the, the amount of accountability from just a simple, like not even, you don't even have to pay that much. We've found, I'm in an organization and a professional association. And we found that if you have a free event versus even a $5 admission, you're more likely to go to the $5 admission if you've signed up. And it's very easy if you, for something that's free or free advice to like kind of ignore it and, and not really hold yourself accountable to it because there wasn't that investment there. Yeah. It's not, as you said, it's not even the amount, the dollar amount necessarily. It's that, you know, the, the fact that you've paid, like if you've paid for, you know, an audio book or something, you're like, oh, I got to listen to this. Whereas if you sign up for a free masterclass, it's gathering digital dust on your hard drive with the other hundred you've signed up for. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, Suzanne, this is amazing. I think all of the work that you're doing is so helpful and so needed, especially when it comes to boundary setting. This is something that if we could all set our boundaries better and start to make those changes, I think we show up better in the world for ourselves and for each other. And it does make the world a better place. So I really do appreciate this this work that you're doing. Before we get into your practice and where the listeners can find you, I have a few rapid fire questions I love to ask all of our guests as well. Sure. Let's go. Awesome. So my first one for you, what is your favorite self-care practice right now? Walking. So right now I'm doing this weird thing called the Conqueror Challenge. And it was not weird, but basically there's different paths around the world. So I've just done the Great Barrier Reef. I'm about to do Yellowstone and you sign up and you walk a distance and you log it. And then at the end of the distance, you get sent a medal and oh, to just get me out of the house and out of my head, it's been such great motivation. That is so fun. I love the distances in there too, because that's so much cooler than saying I walked this many miles. Mm, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm also, there's also a Lord of the Rings one. So my like inner oh gig's coming out and I'm just about to finish the Shire. I've got 40 kilometers left to go. So it's 230 kilometers. So it's, you know, very exciting sense of achievement that, you know, in, in February I've walked like by the end of, that's the last day of February at the time we we're recording this. Um, I've already done 280 kilometers. That's over 10 kilometers a day. I'm on fire. That is amazing. That is so cool. Well, if they have a Harry Potter one, I'm definitely going to need to do that. Well, they just asked for ideas and a bunch of us are like Harry Potter, Harry Potter, like all the way. So if if it comes out, I'll send you an email, let you know. Please do. I'm a big Harry Potter geek. (laughs) That's amazing. Now, I don't know if you're a one word theme person, but if you had a one word theme for the year, what would that be? It's believe. I've got it here on my desk in gold. I always set one word for the year. And yeah, this year's one's believe. I love that. And how are you embodying that? By just really leaning into, you know, when the doubts come up or the fears come up or the questions come up, what would future Suze do? Like who's already created this? Like that borrowing that belief. I find it really powerful. I love that. 
And I think that also ties into that accountability piece too, because I think sometimes we won't do the thing for ourselves, but I think future Sue's future Val, like that, that's almost a separate person in a sense. It's the person that has kind Mm. of, but at the same time they are us. And so you're doing it and it's going to benefit that person in the future. So if you are really tying yourself to that people pleasing and it's hard to break, I think, please that future self first before anything. hundred percent. I love that. Yeah. Uh, And finally, what are you most looking forward to right now? Well, my son is learning to read. He is on the spectrum. So it's been a it's been a journey and I'm really looking forward to him nailing it. We've been a process, but he's really starting to come along. And just so some of the games that we can play, because a lot of the games require you to be able to read or at least, you know, have a basic understanding of reading. And, you know, outside of checkers and things like that, things like, you know, Dominion or, you know, stuff that requires a bit of level of reading. I'm so looking forward to that because, yeah, I love a good friendly competition. And just because they're children doesn't mean I go easy on them. (laughs) Well, you absolutely shouldn't. I think that's, that's, that's amazing and good for him. He's on his way and I think reading in general, it just unlocks so many doors for us. And it's very, very exciting for sure. A hundred percent. So he's, yeah, just in, just started grade two and he's always been on, like they have, you know, red words, which is the basic, and then they have blue and they have green. And he just last week went up to the blue words. So we had this big celebration. And then today, well, yesterday he came home and said, now he's got one green word. So he's just slowly making his way up and I'm, I've never been more proud. That's so cool. Well, congratulations to him. It's, it's hard work and it's, really exciting. That's awesome. It totally is. Yeah. Oh, congratulations to him. Now, I'd love to know before I let you go, tell our listeners a little bit about the program that you're offering, how they can find you and connect with you, and a little bit more about your book as well. So my website is suzannekohlberg.com, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-C-U-L-B-E-R-G. And if you head there, it's got all about my program. It's called Why Wait, as in what are we waiting for? Because so many of us get stuck on the, you know, merry-go-round of doom, (laughs) waiting for one day when, you know, life's easier or peaceful, we have more time, which, you know, never comes, which is why one of my things about shows like The Biggest Loser or even going on a health retreat, like I'm not knocking going on a retreat, but how many of us, and I wrote about this in the book, you know, I went to fat camp and uh, health retreat. And you don't have any of the responsibilities of home. You don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. You don't have to work. And you set up all these habits and you tell yourself, when I get home, I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to have my green juice. I'm going to yoga. And then you get home and you can't do those things and you beat yourself up and you think that you're a failure when really it's like transformation doesn't happen in a vacuum. So why wait is about, it's not about waiting for the right time. It's about with everything that you have going on, whatever it be, kids, career, starting a business, scaling a business, whatever it is, pets, drama, how do you make yourself a priority because, you know, self first isn't selfish and take care of your own needs in amongst all that because when you do the things and look at, you know, the processes and celebrate those, then the results will come rather than looking for the results to validate, you know, how you feel about yourself. So that's my program. I have a cohort starting in mid-April, but depending on when you catch this, I run it four times a year. So it will have the most up-to-date times on the website. And 
I also have, yeah, my book you mentioned. So if you look on the website, go over to book and click there. You can grab the first two chapters for free. That will not sign you up for my mailing list. I believe 100% in marketing consent and I can't stand getting hundreds of emails about something that I may or may not have truly been interested in. Um, So you can grab the first two chapters. Otherwise, you can pick it up on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, basically most places. I'd recommend searching Suzanne Kohlberg. Word for the wise, if any of your listeners are thinking about writing a book, putting a swear word in the title might be cool. But when you put the asterisks in there, it makes it really hard to search for. So you have to, and then my name's not the easiest to spell. So it can get a little bit Uh, a little bit messy there but um yeah have a read of the first two chapters check it out and it's about it's for anyone who weight loss is the theme it's my weight loss memoir the next one will be my business memoir but you know you've tried started stopped started stopped and but you know eventually got there in the end and maybe not in the way that you'd hoped but it's that grit and that determination to keep going so that you know eventually you will make it I love that. And again, your book is fantastic. And I think something that so many of us can relate to, I think we can see ourselves in different aspects of the book. And I think that it's really inspiring to see how you forged your own path ultimately and created the habits that were going to work for you and did what's going to work for you versus what this particular diet or this particular program was going to have, I think really making it realistic for life and something that you can stick to. So I think it's a fantastic book. I will definitely link that and your website in the show notes. But I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fabulous. Thank you for tuning into this conversation with Suzanne Kohlberg. I absolutely love her approach to boundary setting. It can be really hard for us to say no. We've talked about this a lot on the show and it's something that I am constantly working on. But if we want to live happier and healthier lives, we have to ultimately choose that temporary discomfort of saying no over the long-term resentment that we're going to feel when we're overextended. When we're prioritizing our own needs and making that time for our self-care, we're better equipped to show up as our best selves for the people around us. So love the work that she's doing and I've linked her information in the show notes. I really encourage you to check out Suzanne's book, The Beginning is Shit. It's a relatable read for anyone who's gone through the hamster wheel of dieting. And there are a lot of great takeaways along Suzanne's journey that you're going to be able to incorporate into your life. If you found value in this episode, I would love for you to share it with your friends and family and leave a rating and review. This helps us reach more people and continue to provide quality content and amazing guests for our listeners. I want to thank you all for joining me on this podcasting journey. I have such a blast showing up for you every week and I look forward to seeing you next time.